Hello. This is the Performance Club Roundtable, our far more topical and casual podcast, certainly a lot more than the main show. It still deals with cycling performance, it's just a little chattier and it's a little more like us discussing and thinking out loud about cycling performance topics. The show is co-hosted by me, Cyrus Monk, a professional cyclist and cycling coach. Me, Dr. Jason Boynton, a sports scientist and cycling coach. And then there's me, Damien Roos, a professional cycling coach. This is Jason and Damien. We're sitting down here this week to bring you something a little bit different. Instead of doing a deep dive into one topic we're going to get a little bit more, um, I don't know, ADD, is that the way you want to, um, something a little bit more short and sporadic and uh, stochastic coming at you today. We have come up with our own hot tips, just kind of little tidbits and sage advice that we'd like to convey to our listeners. But when we came up with this idea, of course, it never stays simple with us. Um, I was like, hey, why don't we reach out to other people and see what advice they would like to give us? So emails ensued and responses occurred and we were lucky enough to get some people to respond to our requests. So is that how you're thinking about it? Yeah, uh, I think it's just a good way of blending sort of our combined knowledge and then just putting the word out there so that other people get a shot at imparting some wisdom as well. You don't just want to hear from us all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we have to also address the elephant that is in the room. We are missing a co-host today, which is Cyrus is out on taking a little bit of a break uh, after the season, catching up with family and all that kind of stuff and preparing for his next endeavor in the 2023 season that's coming up here. So we we're happy to just say, hey, man, take a little bit of a breather and uh, come back when you're ready. So um, with that, one thing we have to make sure we mention is um, coming off of our third round table episode where we discussed the kind of conflicts of interest that were going on um, between performance staff, coaches, athletes, and then people, products and things like that. So um, of the individuals that we reached out to, we only reached out to individuals that we thought would give good advice. But some of these individuals are heads of companies and or they offer services and, uh, and products and things like that. So um, we said that, yeah, if you want to mention your product, it's, uh, go ahead and do that. Uh, we're happy to give some people some exposure. Just want to give the clarification that it isn't necessarily an endorsement for us from us. But again, like if someone wants to come on here and give our listeners some advice, sure, uh, plug your product real quick. But again, not necessarily an endorsement from us. The other thing they kind of mentioned is, man, we really wanted to get a few more world tour form of staff on here, but coming out of worlds, the feedback I was getting, it was just like, you know, they were very under the pump. So and to the ones that were able to get a, get an email back to me. Uh, was, and also uh, the academics are a little bit busy right now too. That was the, some of the other feedback. So we are very happy to take the advice of the individuals that did respond. The other thing to mention here is this is going to be a spectrum of just kind of random advice. So we will have the some of the, you know, good advice that is big brain. <laughs> 
would be something like, you know, enjoy the journey. Um, but the issue is, is that if you, if everyone gave big brain advice like that, we would just, everyone would be like basically saying, enjoy the journey or something similar. So if don't, please don't judge anybody by the, the advice they're giving, because what we're really looking for is a good spread of advice. So, and some people have uh, niches and they're going to give their advice from their niche. But haven't, haven't you found that over time, you know, like sometimes you're expecting advice from somebody that is super scientific or, or whatever, and then they give you something that seems very simple at first, you know, even after they've got years and years of experience and they give you something that's like, oh, I knew that. But then I think it's very important to, to know that if somebody is giving you advice like that, it's for a reason um, and not to discredit it straight away at least. At least give it mm-hmm. some time to, to stew. Yeah, there's... I'm sure there's things that people are going to hear in this episode. They're going to be like, that's a little bit tropey, a little bit cliche. Um, but hopefully we can reinforce it for people. Cause if, if, if it's said here, it's probably somebody that we consider an expert has, has thought enough about it to give it as advice. So hopefully again, like you hear it again for the 50th time and you're like, Oh yeah, that is good advice. Um, and I'm a big, a big proponent of that. I've said it before that, you know, uh, you could put me in a, a beginner's coaching clinic and I could sit through it and I'm sure I would learn something new or something that I forgot or something would get reframed. Yeah. And it's, and it's more than just, uh, new things. It's just reminders. Sometimes you sort of get caught up in other things and then somebody says, no, just bring it back to the basics. As much as you've heard that 100,000 times, it might be really valuable for the next time you're thinking about something cycling performance-wise. Yeah, yeah. And some of it's just repetition, uh, right? And it's just hearing it over and over again. Um, but getting back to the things that you wouldn't expect, I mean, I would say that people probably think I'm very scientific-minded. But yeah, like some of the stuff on my list here, just very basic, practical things. Some of them I, st- I stick in there just for the the contrast to what I usually uh, have on the podcast here. But yeah, how do we want to start this? Do we want to give uh, let our first recording from our first? Yeah, uh, uh, let's just play it because uh, they're going to introduce themselves as well. So I'll just mm-hmm. play it and uh, see how we go here. Hi, my name is Michael Freiberg. I won the 2011 world title in the Omnium and also the 2019 Australian National Road Race. Um, I've had a bit of a history in cycling and I'm also the guy behind the Air Hub. So the Air Hub is an on-road resistance training tool for cyclists. It's like having a um, wahoo kicker in the front wheel of your bike so that you can head out on the road and you can flick a switch and adjust the resistance that you face as a rider. Um, This allows you to reduce on-road speeds and allows you to dial into your training zones much more effectively. You can check it out on uh, airhub.com.au. My number one performance tip is that things will almost never go to plan during races. So one of the things you need to do as a developing rider is make sure you are as versatile as possible and that you can change your race strategy as soon as the opportunity arises. Um, One thing I've taken from almost all my big wins is that the race took an unexpected turn and I was able to capitalize on it as quickly as possible. 
going into the preparation for these races, I used the mental model of having a Pokedex or a Rolodex of pre-prepared game plans and strategies. And I can just flick through these in my head. And when the chance arrives, I deploy one of those strategies. This allows you to act on instinct and make the most of those critical moments and allows you to go faster than any of your other competitors would. One of my most memorable examples was when I was at the Track World Championships back in Appledorn in 2011. Uh, during the early part of the week, I sat in the stands and I watched the flow of the bunch, the flow of the track, and basically how all the races were unfolding. On the night of the scratch race, the Elite Men's scratch race, I saw the Hong Kong rider win the world title by making a flying attack when the bunch lulled at about 12 laps to go. Um, he, w- he went all the way to the line solo. Um, so... The Omnium, which was the last event of the track meet, it's six races over two days. Um, and the second last event was the scratch race. So the Hong Kong rider being their endurance rider was in this race with me. And in that second last event, um, the bunch stalled at about 13 laps ago. And just like clockwork, just like the other night, the Hong Kong rider dove down the track. I saw him go and I knew he, he had the confidence of someone who was going to commit all the way to the finish line and I just had to be there. So myself and several others followed him and I won that scratch race and put six places between myself and my nearest rival, Ella Viviani, going to the final event, which was a kilo. And I was able to hold on and win the world title that night. Um, And I put it all down to following my gut instinct and knowing how the race was going to unfold because I had those prepared strategies. So having a Pokedex of race strategies and training yourself to have the skills to deploy those strategies is going to take you a long way as a bike rider. Nice. Thanks for that freebie. One of the advantages of living in Perth is that you can follow up with people. I saw him at uh, Jai Henley's welcome home celebration over the weekend. And I was like, don't forget to give me that recording <laughs> freebie. Uh, so thanks for that. So what'd you think of that advice there, Damien? Very practical. And on the surface, it seems like it's quite easy, but I think it's one of those things that actually you have to be conscious of and you have to put a lot of work in to develop over uh, a lot of years to understand the, mm-hmm. the, the nuance of different types of strategies. Um, but just raising that point that it gives it can give you a performance edge to watch your competitors, watch other types or other um, people racing the events that you're going to do. Uh, and then um, having something to pull out when you need it and change change when you need to. Yeah, yeah. Um, two points that just a similar anecdote, <laughs> not nearly as, as big a stage, but um, uh, when I was a Cat 3, I won the state Cat 3 champs. And basically how I did that was watching the races uh, before it. And I noticed that whoever came around the last corner first was going to win. Every single time. So gotten a three-man break, I think, and there was a guy there that would have out-sprinted me, no problem. But I jumped on in the inside of him into that last corner, and I just sprinted like mad when I came out. It was, it was just ridiculous. But yeah, watching those races ahead of time, getting to the races a, a couple races before you really need to be there, and just watching people ride the course and walking around the course, and all that kind of stuff, it definitely helps, I think. Off the back of what you're just saying, it's like having this understanding of how you can win, meaning is it a sprint to that final corner rather than the finish line? Is Mm -hmm. it getting the whole shot somewhere specific? 
actually knowing how you can win, I think is really important. And I can imagine in Team Buses Before Pro events, they are identifying these certain points along the finish in the last five kilometers or whatever, these pinch points or specific points and, and positions you have to be in order to to know, uh, to actually get to the line first. So it it then you're just doing that yourself. You're doing recons of courses. You're watching how people um, race it. And I think that is a really good tip because then um, it allows you, yeah, to get there early, to know what you're looking out for, and then to start, to start sort of building um, these ideas in your head so you can, you have them to call on when you need them. Mm-hmm. And just a few things on this building the Rolodex, you can go with like, I always recommend for my road racers to read Thomas Prenn's uh, strategy book. Um, it's kind of a classic old book that, you know, just go through there and just read through it once and just get at least start loading the options and start, it gets you thinking mm-hmm. about things. Mm-hmm. And then obviously you're talking with the athlete about strategy and your calls with them or whatever and going over their races and getting back to freebie as a track rider. And I think there's a big advantage to racing on the track because in the, over the course of a track event, how many finishes do you get in that? And as opposed to if you race crits on the weekend, you get maybe you get two finishes unless you're a master's rider, then you get more, but just having that many times experiencing the end of a race is really valuable because you get to experience them in a short amount of time, which kind of gets into if, if you can't get to a track or you don't, you know, one isn't available or maybe that's just, just not your thing. Uh, the other thing I think is maybe worth trying is put a GoPro on your bike. And if you're new to it and watch the footage, I mean, there's a reason why Monday morning after the big football games, they're sitting down and watching the tapes you know, you're reinforcing hopefully the good things and, and looking at where you can improve yourself. So race ends happen so quickly. I think in order to learn that it's, it's such a instinct type thing because it happens so quickly. But I think if you're able to record it, that might have something there. I, that's a little, out of, I'll admit that's out of my wheelhouse in terms of sports psych and things like that. I don't know if you have any more input on that, Damien, but um, yeah. I mean, that, that's, that would be one of my tips, but I don't, haven't had enough time to really look up any of the data or the, or the research around it. Yeah. Well, as far as like recording things, the, a good place to start is just watching other people race. There's a lot mm-hmm. of um, footage online from all different levels of racing, which you can get a bit of an idea on. Um, but one thing that, uh, the, well, the final thing I'll add here is that um, with some of my athletes that are just learning certain processes. And if you have like a summer crit series or something, we will actively uh, agree on a strategy and then they have to follow through on that strategy, regardless of what's happening, because it's part of the process to learn. And whether this is attacking early, um, following uh, an identified rider that does well every week, all these different things um, that we can try so at least you have experience doing those things when it comes down to doing them when you need to do them at the at the right time. And I, I think that's a pretty good coaching tip um, that that isn't too hard to implement. Right. So I guess it's your turn. What's your first tip here? Okay. My first tip 
And yeah, this is one of those obvious ones, but I think you can kind of get lost if you're concentrating on other things. You get caught up in in life, for example, but it's plan your ride the night before. And I'm talking about down to the final thing. So we there of course there's all these things you um you get, get can easily get frustrated with before a ride like turning on your bike computer and it's going to update automatically or the route is going to take a long time to to download onto the computer um the heart rate strap isn't connecting or whatever so it's all those types of things but it's also things like uh cleaning your sunglasses having your kit all laid out um in front of you uh i also I don't necessarily recommend this because I don't think it's super hygienic, but if it's a a winter ride, you know, put some part of your kit on so you don't have to get up in the morning and, uh, and struggle with cold gear before you get out the door, but everything, uh, drink bottles, pumping up your tires, um, checking your bike over lights, all this type of stuff, even for pre-ride food, putting cereal in the bowl, toast in the toaster, just having all of this stuff ready. So the only thing that you are going to need to concentrate on is firstly getting out that door. And then secondly, you have hopefully extra mental energy to do the work that you have in front of you for that day. Um, and I, I don't know if this is something that um, that you've kind of thought about, Jason, but I, I think it's it can get overlooked. And some people, it is just a habit, but others might not have thought about it in that much detail so that it, it can save so much mental energy in the mornings, you know, no fussing about you just, um, up, you know, ready and, and away you go. I think, I think it's one of these things that we don't realize how much climate and hemisphere affects how we do things until, you know, you're contrasting it. So this is actually something I've picked up much more here in Australia because the rides in Perth are so much earlier. The, the culture here is go to bed at nine, get up at five. And all the, all the rides are meeting at six for five thirty. So you, you got to get up and, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and your brain is not functioning at that time in the morning. So yeah. Um, if, if I'm getting up to ride at intervals with my athletes, then yeah, the night before I'm laying out my kit, laying out the, everything I'm going to wear or think I'm going to wear. Um, I haven't gotten to that point where I'm pumping up my tires and lubing the chain. Maybe I should be, but I am on that track, but back home and when it's cold weather and you don't have that culture of the early rides like a lot of times in the winter we don't get out to like 9 10 11 you got more wiggle room yeah yeah cuz cuz you're making your breakfast burritos and things like that i haven't had a breakfast burrito in years because there's just no time to cook it before you could, you got to run out the door for the ride um which is nice cuz then you're done and you know you get your ride in before noon and all that kind of stuff so yeah, I would. This is something that I picked up here, and it, and I think, and what what the the real big selling point on it was is that is it just is a big time saver. It it takes literally like a minute or two at night for me when I'm awake, but when it's in the morning and the brain you got that brain fog, it just takes forever. It just it just literally it feels like it's tight twice as long maybe three times as long to figure all that stuff out. Yeah. And, and, uh, if you are meeting people, firstly, you don't want to be smashing yourself just to get to the meeting point. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of that, you don't want to be that guy, <laughs> you yeah. know, that yeah. guy that everybody's waiting for, or, you know, holding up the entire bunch. I think, um, there's a lot to be said about that, but for me, it is a performance thing. 
getting everything ready, just not having to use um, any extra energy uh, so you can use it on the bike. I think uh, it, it does make a meaningful difference when you start adding it, adding up the days and the weeks and the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think we'll go with my tip next. I handled this a little bit differently because I was thinking it's one of those things with this to consider, I think, with these tips, you know, I had coaches and people coming back to me and they're like, ah, man, I have to think about this. And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but uh, I think this is potentially a little bit of the opposite side of the Dunning-Kruger effect, where the Dunning-Kruger effect is infamously known as people are so dumb they don't know they're dumb. But there's the flip side of the Dunning-Kruger effect where people who are experts don't realize that other people don't think like them and that their advice is meaningful. I actually just had that with a with a performance staff that I know on a world tour team and he said that to me. He's like, I don't know if I have any advice really to give. <laughs> and I replied to him saying, I said, this is the Dunning-Kruger effect. This is the other side of the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I felt like I had a good enough back and forth with them or I could kind of point that out. But it was it was kind of funny that a guy that is at a world tour team is like, I don't think I have any advice to give. <laughs> I was like, really? I'm sure you give good advice all the time. And then he followed with giving me some good advice in the email <laughs> so that's that is one of the sticking points around giving advice is that well, but part of this is also be changing context as well wouldn't it if someone is at a world tour and they've just joined and they're a young scientist or whatever they may feel like they're just observing and they don't have anything to offer but then you change that to a developing squad and the whole conversation changes oh but he's been in the game for a long time Okay. Okay. So hopefully he's listening to the podcast. <laughs> He'll know who it is. Um, yeah. What I find interesting about your approach here is more in the vein of what has stuck, like what has been effective. Did, did we say what my approach was? I can't remember. But uh, yes, I reached out to my athletes because I was thinking, well, one, my brain isn't really working here. I'll have to sit down and do this. But you know what would be the smart thing to do is just reach out to my athletes and figure out what they thought was good advice and it stuck with them for the over the years so current athletes and some of my former athletes uh it was kind of a last minute thing so i didn't get able to reach out to my athletes so hopefully the ones that are listening that i didn't reach out to don't think i'm playing favorites or anything like that but um funny enough i had uh one two three four five i had five athletes that responded present or former athletes and the advice that they remember from me was all kind of the same it was all about recovery and stress and um, so i'll just read out some of some of the things that they're saying uh tony uh, we just sent him off to gravel worlds and uh, he did pretty well there i think and uh, he said there's probably lots of things but the thing that sticks most in my mind is every day doesn't need to be a hard day Enjoy the rest days, enjoy the recovery days, and just ride your bike for the enjoyment of it. That took me a while to wrap my head around, but now I see it as fundamental to being coached, a coach cyclist, and one that improves. It's not all about numbers. Sometimes you just got to take your eye off the speedo or the power meter and just go for a ride. And yeah, I'm a big fan of that. It gets into like when some riders, they just understand like, wait, 
I'm not going to ride really hard today. I'm like, no, you're not. You're just going to ride easy. You're going to take a day off. And some of the riders that are new, they don't understand that. And I'm like, you'll understand it once we start applying load properly. Yeah, you'll want to just... You'll want that. You'll want that day. <laughs> you'll want to be walking the bike. Yeah, yeah. But but it, uh, there's a lot that goes into just convincing someone to do that as well, isn't there? You know, because I don't know, for me, there's a lot of ego. And if you're, hmm. you're riding when there's other commuters around or whatever. Oh, the power commuters. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Commuter cup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is horrible in Perth. I remember oh, the bike paths here. <laughs> just wicked at the end of the day. <laughs> just... Oh, dude. Uh, so, uh, so from Dino, one of my old athletes, do not try to push through a workout if you are not feeling well. I have uh, now realized that I do need to ride easy sometimes and not push it if I'm not feeling well or feel fatigued. Very similar. Aaron, he said, uh, well, it doesn't sound that special, but I think that rest days are in fact really important. And that's the helpful thing that stuck with me most and definitely is helpful. The other thing is sleep. And Dave, one of my old athletes here that I worked with for like five years, he's an engineer. So he's thinks, you know, in that engineer mind. So the thing that, that stayed with him, he said, not specific advice, but one of the things that I probably have taken with me long term is the argument for nonlinear functional periodization, which is basically load you know, recover, stress, recover, stress, recover, but just a different way to look at it instead of a classic periodization or a block periodization. Um, so that is something that, you know, I don't, it's one of those things where you, the, the coaching world can be so, so isolated sometimes if you're not in one of these teams or something like that. And what other people are doing could be very, very different from what you're doing. So I really don't have an idea of how many people use a kind of nonlinear functional periodization model. And then it gets into, you know, if you asked um, Greg Hoff, he'd say like all periodization is linear and linear. And I would agree, but you need to label it something <laughs> um, at the end of the day. But yeah, this is something that um, I kind of picked up when I was with Steve McGregor and it's it's worked for me and it works really well for getting working around people's schedules and uh, like their weekly schedules and people who have crazy schedules like with the uh, um, shift work and stuff like that it, it it just you you don't have to stick with these kind of I don't know like what I call it the traditional training bible four-week cycle approach like you don't have to do that to get fast there is other ways to do it and people ask me, when's my rest week? I'm like, there is none. Like the rests are built in. If you need a rest week, we can take one. But at the same time, I just, yeah. But then long... we can get a sense. We can get a sense then because everybody here is saying uh, work, rest, work, rest. Hmm. And this is how you program. So this is the, 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 the performance tip that they're getting because they're following hmm. the way that you actually prescribe the work and the rest. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, one of my, the last bit was from Bob here where he actually was nice enough to record. I asked Bob uh, what he thought his, the tip that he, um, the, the thing that, the biggest takeaway that he had gotten from working with me. And so him and I have been working together for a long time. But the thing with Bob has been, he's been in it for like 40 years of racing uh, or more. But um, yeah, he's been in it for a long time. So I was like, 
I want to hear what he thinks. Not so much like what my advice was. I didn't even, I, um, but like what he thought like his advice would be to um, other people out there. So let's hear what he said. Well, Jason, uh, the words of wisdom that stick out most from you is don't go hard, medium, whatever level all the time. Go hard, go easy, vary it up, and you will increase your performance levels. What I've learned over all these years of racing is past performances don't necessarily dictate future. Past performances were good, but what did I do? I went the same level all the time. That's how we trained in those days. Today, we train at highs, we train at lows. In doing that, I've been able to gather multiple state championships, national gold medals, and looking for performances beyond those. So yeah, that's uh, that was Bob. Again, interesting that what the biggest thing that my athletes are taking from me is like the the whole idea of like you need rest, you need to recover, and how and how to do that properly. Well, that's a different conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's roll into the next one we have here. Then, uh, yeah. So uh, who do we want to go with here? Simon. Yeah, let's do Simon. Simon Jones. Hello, my name's Simon Jones. I'm currently the performance director of the G11 team. We're a management consultancy company based in Perth, and we specialise in strategy, execution, and leadership development in high-performing teams. I've spent 25 years plus working in uh, a performance sport, British cycling, um, in the Australian system here, English Institute of Sport, Team Sky, and the last sort of five years spent with Oz Cycling. Uh, the things that I've learned about performance, uh, I'm going to share with you now. So uh, I've got four four tips. I think the first one is you have to be very careful what you wish for, which means about setting the right target. You have to really think big because the bigger the goal, the bigger the gap between your future state and your current state drives your behavior and it drives change. And then you have to break down and try to understand what it takes to win for you uh, and aim, aim for progress. So that's really the first one. Just be really careful what you wish for. Number two is find a critical friend. And this is about surrounding yourself with people which support you holistically. It could be spiritually, technically, tactically. But above all, you really have to make sure there's someone in your team that is a critical friend. And then you don't just surround yourself with people who tell you what you want to hear. Number three, don't believe anybody who thinks they know the answer. Performance in the modern day is complex, sophisticated, and requires discovery and innovative thinking and new practice. And above all, have to be individual. And finally, number four, data. Measure, monitor, test yourself, face the numbers, seek the facts. And that way you'll navigate the complexity and you'll find progress. Thank you very much. Thanks for that, Simon. He was he was right on it. I sent him a text and he sent me uh, that over right away. So 
Thanks for being proactive on that, Simon. One thing I want to mention um, before we get into his tips uh, that I forgot to mention at the beginning of this is we specifically asked our um, contributors to kind of state first what they do and why they are experts. So um, if it feel if it sounds like people are being like a little bit long winded in that, that's because we requested it. And I I know some cultures can be that can be a little bit off putting. But how else do you establish someone's expertise in this kind of um, scenario here without having them talk about themselves first? So I do want the listeners to realize that we specifically requested that every expert tell the, tell like tell us all about you before you give your tip. So yeah, the, so kudos to him. Now let's get into his tips. Uh, first one, uh, what did you think of that, Damien? I honestly don't have anything more to add to those tips. I, I think they were super solid. Like I, mm-hmm. agree oh, he's been with- in it. He's been in the game for for decades. <laughs> so, um, yeah. He's- but I, I, I did specifically love the first one. Um, this idea that if you set your goal far enough out, it's mm-hmm. going to still impact. It'll impact your for the better where you are right now. And if you mm-hmm. set it closer, the action needed to get to that closer goal isn't actually, uh, it won't make, potentially won't make the change to, to allow you to keep going. And I can kind of even see in Simon's own career how he's taken this advice. It seems like he has always set his goals um, very far out uh, and moved in that direction. Um, so I like it. I can really visualize that, that one. I'll have a little bit to add on to that uh, when we get into some of my later tips here. But um, yeah, the critical friend one is people could be like, what do you mean? But as as a scientist, I get that. I'm just generally critical. I try not to be cynical, but I'm generally critical. And that rubs people the wrong way sometimes because it, and I'll tell you that it always hurts when people criticize. I mean, you know, that hurts, but uh, you know, uh, it's the joke in the joke in the science world this is about reviewer two. Reviewer two is the harsh reviewer on on the, in the peer review papers. Um, but th- getting that criticism in that atmosphere is um, it's from people who are blinded. They don't know you, right? So it can get harsh. But I, I've been very frustrated with the feedback I've gotten in that environment. But uh, <laughs> Not to get too political, but think about like how dictatorships fall. Right? You get a person in there that has just surrounds themselves with yes men, and they are not aware of reality. So yeah, you do have to get um, some criticism in order to be able to further yourself. But it, it has to be done well. It has to be well skilled. on both sides. I think um, it, it's it's a skill to give criticism you know, in mm-hmm. the right way. And it's also a skill to learn how to take it and separate it out and try and not take it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but really important, really important. Yeah. And I'm probably very different with criticism towards athletes, my athletes, than I am towards people outside of that. <laughs> you know, peers, I, I'll probably, you know, i I just expect academics to to act like, okay, we're going to criticize each other and we're not going to take it personally. All right. So 
I think we've talked enough about Simon's. That means we're on to your next tip, Damien. Okay, so my next tip, uh, I learned this very, very early in my cycling journey. Mm-hmm. I remember I was at a junior race somewhere in the middle of nowhere and they were giving seminars about things. And this this tip uh was an important one that I used the next day and I probably used it last week. Mm-hmm. And it is to use momentum. Yep. And that can be thought about in a lot of different ways when it comes to cycling and performance. You can be, you can think about it uh, on a large scale when it comes to consistency or um, putting rides together. Um, but for me, it really comes down to this practical kind of element of thinking when you're riding a bike and if you're in a race situation, how can you use momentum so mm-hmm. you're not wasting energy, so you're yep. as efficient as possible. And the examples that I generally like to give are kind of basic things. Um, but like we said at the start, you know, it's it's these things that maybe they become ingrained and they become part of you. But if you haven't thought about it, maybe uh, you just need to be reminded of it, but it's simple things like changing gears uh, before you hit a ramp on a mountain bike or some mm-hmm. sort of steep pitch on the road or whatever. Um, it's looking for opportunities to go up safely, go up the inside of somebody in a bunch mm-hmm. uh, when the bunch is slowing so you can pick up some easy places without having to exert any energy. Um, so always thinking where can you get that extra momentum better cornering would be in that too right yeah do you, own subset in that right just generally this the skills element of it um yeah like picking better braking points uh um do you need to put yeah the brakes on so early or whatever it is in order to get around that using a course itself so if there's an opportunity say this is probably more on a mountain bike or mm-hmm. um cycle cross or something but can you jump across and use the steep part of the descent rather than just sticking on the normal line? Um, these types of things, just thinking a bit broadly about every little opportunity that you can use momentum you already have mm-hmm. instead of stopping and starting and then having to, to, to get going again. I think these are the small things that are kind of something like this is very underrated and you may not think about it because it's it's sort of, you have to have a lot of basics down before you get to this point, but you can still use it tomorrow and continue to kind of refine over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good piece of advice. And um, there's two kind of subsets of that conversation that I bring up with my athletes. And one is when you're talking about trying to form a break and um, and I always use, say, say the term, use the physics of the race uh, to your advantage because in a break, um, from a physiological standpoint, the, the really the last thing you want to do, there's two from a physiological standpoint, you don't want to like spike your heart rate because what you're trying to do is trying to give yourself enough of a distance where, um, you can at least hold the distance between you and the pack. I mean, if you're lucky, you're increasing the distance, but, um, if you're going to spike your heart rate, uh, a bunch and then try to settle into that cruising power where you know i can hold 20 minutes at 350 watts and go this amount of speed you're like well if you spike your heart rate you're gonna have to allow it to come below critical power 
And then what are you going to do now? The, now they're picking back up on you. So the, the less energy you have to put into forming that gap between you and the pack, the, the better. And, um, so some of the tips I have for, with that, with my athletes is, um, I have two that kind of come to mind right off the top of my head, but you know, when you've got, when everything's single file in front of you and maybe you're sitting like, I don't know, seventh wheel or something like that. And all of a sudden, like it's two people, three people wide, four people wide. All of a sudden it's, that tells you in front of you that, that the people are slowing down, but you are going faster than them. So that's where this idea of a slingshot would come in. If you can, if you aren't obstructed by anybody in front of you, that's potentially a good place to put in your attack because you are carrying your momentum from what the front of the pack was doing. And then all of a sudden, if you're lucky, no one will follow you or they'll get obstructed or they won't or they won't have the nuts to go or whatever. Or maybe one of your teammates is right behind you and they're not going to follow you. Right. So these are these are the, like that's one place to use the physics. The other thing is, is that I've done multiple times. To, to win races and get in breaks is there's some rules around like don't attack on downhills. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good idea to attack on downhills, except if you can attack at the point on the downhill where when you get off the front, everyone's done with the downhill because now you are holding the momentum of that downhill. And then by the time they realize you are up the road, they don't have the downhill, but it's not a good place if you're attacking into the wind and then you've got Newton's law or whatever, and you're dealing with that. So yeah, use, use the momentum. And the other side of the momentum issue is with time trialing. And um, from a purely physics standpoint, the best way to pace time trialing is to not reduce momentum. So if you are going up a hill, you would want to have a high amount of power so that when you get to the top of the hill, you don't have to accelerate as much to get back up to your speed. So you're trying to conserve as much of the velocity as you can. Now, then it, that's just purely from a physics standpoint, but that's where you start the thinking from. Then it gets into like, what can I do physiologically? Like if I spike my heart rate here really bad, am I going to drop my performance so bad on the other side that I lose velocity, right? So then that comes into the equation as well. But yes, it's... Um, from a pure, like, like I said, you use the term momentum and I use the term physics, but it's the same idea, right? Like, yeah. And, and another place use, I can use the energy that you, you've already have. Yeah. And you see this a lot, um, not necessarily to win a race, but if somebody has been dropped off the back of a breakaway group, um, and then it's, you know, whether it's towards the end of the race and the front of the race starts playing games because they want to, um, cat and mouse a bit. And then you see the rider that's just come mm-hmm. back to the group, just ride straight past them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he just holds his momentum. And that's just a classic example of... That's how Freebie state. won nationals, right? Potentially. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think because him and... Was it Durbo and, um, and Cam Meyer, I think were starting to mess around with each other after they dropped, dropped Freebie on the climb. And he just kept going. Straight and just past. straight past. Yeah. Because you've got to think about the energy of stop starting at that point. Uh, and and just riding straight past, you know, and it is part of that thing of not spiking 
your heart rate. It's not putting extra load, especially at the end of a long race, uh, where there's potential for cramping, depending on your condition and the conditions that you've been racing mm-hmm. in. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a lot of different places to use it, um, and I, 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 it's it's stuck with me. It's one that's just stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if those those are the two riders that were in in the break with freebie, but I'm not hundred percent sure. I think I'm pretty sure with Cam. It's, yeah. it, it, it seems like it could be right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the other, other rider other than Cam. So I can't remember, but, uh, yeah, the momentum is a big thing. Actually, when I'm riding in bunches, a lot of times I try to avoid using the brakes. Even I'll just kind of bring myself out in the wind and get a little bit of an air break and come back. <laughs> well, bunches are classic, aren't they? If you're like at a, towards the back, it's so start, stop. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Slinky effects, so, right? Yeah. It's, it's the worst. It's, <laughs> you can see why you want to be a better rider and be, uh, dictating the pace at the front. Uh, it's just a much better experience. So you got to do what you can sometimes to try and avoid, um, just riding on the brakes for a couple of hours, but yeah, uh, yeah, let's yeah. roll on to the next one here. All right. Well, I just kind of put mine in order of a uh, big brain to <laughs> more technical and pragmatic, I think. Um, well, enjoy the journey. I already said it. Uh, so that's a given, but there's a lot of things that just kind of unravel around that. And, um, you know, cycling is tough. It's a very, very hard thing to do. It's, there's a lot of work involved. It's, it's strenuous. Yeah. It's, it's unforgiving. There are hurdles. And I don't know if I've told the story on the, on the podcast or not, but there's a big contrast about cycling and say like go-kart racing, which I used to do when I was young. So like, I can come back from a conference or something like that and not been riding my bike for five days. And I feel like I'm in a different body when I come back, right? Just a couple of days off and it's just, everything feels different. Um, as opposed to like go-karting, I didn't do that for 20 plus years, went out to a bucks party and just dominated everybody, right? Like you can't do that with cycling. Right? <laughs> That's just not going to happen. Um, so you have to be ready to embrace this. Like, I'm going to get up today. I want to ride my bike. And, you know, like it's, it has to be in your schedule. And so in order to have that process over outcome, yep, you have to, you have to like really kind of be into what you're doing. And this is, um, kind of gets into the goals talk, you know, just sent one of my athletes off to worlds and I sent him there because he won his age group at a UCI World Tour gravel race, where you want to say for his age group uh, here at seven. So we sent him off to to Italy, and you know we were thinking that this is going to be good. He's a big guy, and he won a, on a climber's course, right? So when you get when you're looking at a flat course with a big guy, you're like, here we go, right? So we set that goal. We're like, well, let's go for this. But the thing with the gravel races now, there's no power data you can look at. The courses are coming out of nowhere. So you really don't get any kind of indication. You're just going to aim high. And why wouldn't we, right? And so he, he didn't take the win. So we'll, and that can be a letdown. But the thing I followed up with him was you have to set your goals high. And when you set your, your goals high, there's the risk. So you, you automatically increase the risk the higher the a failure, the higher you set your goals. And then when you don't hit, make your goals, well, 
yeah, it sucks. There's that letdown. But there's a few things. At least you can go back to the journey and look at the journey and be like, you went through a really tough journey. Like not many people can do that to get yourself to this point. So you've already won to get yourself to this point, right? So you can, t- you can pat yourself on the back there. And then the other thing that goes along with that is how would anyone expect to do anything great if they don't set high expectations, if they don't set high goals? I, I can't think of anything where unless you just fall into it. But for great things to happen, high watermarks have to be set, high, high goals and standards have to be set. And it kind of comes back to what, yeah, exactly what Simon Jones said in his first. Yeah, exactly. Year. That's why I said, like, um, I, I'm going to expand off this a little bit. Okay, okay. Um, but yeah, the thing for me, as far as setting those big goals, it's basically the same amount of work to set the big, big goal as it is to set the okay goal. Mm-hmm. Like it really is. If it's going to consume you that much, and it's going to be a lifestyle and a big focus of yours. It really doesn't take much extra energy to set the big, big goal. And yeah. if that is the thing that's actually going to get you moving where you are today and and just give that little bit extra that you need in order to move all the way to that goal eventually, then I think that's really, uh, that's really part of this here. It, it's like, it's looking at, the goal that you want to set in the future uh, and making, sh- making sure that, that that goal itself makes you do the right things today. Um, and then, but on the flip side of that, I, I do like this idea of setting that huge goal, setting the path, and then kind of forgetting about it and just focusing on the step you need to mm-hmm. do today in order yep. to move down that direction. Well, it's comes down to a little bit of of an epistemological question because there was just a black box there right it was the first i think it was the first worlds i ever had for gravel so who knows who's going to be in the category right like if you've been racing roads nationals for a while you get an idea who's going to show up and who your competition is and what the courses are going to look like and you can look at strava and and figure all that kind of stuff you can get maybe a little bit of an idea like kind of what we were doing in the seven episode after we had looked at the course right Uh, so you can do some strava creeping and maybe figure some some things out but i don't think there was any a good way to do that and it's anyone's game coming into that so if it's anyone's game why sell yourself short just go for it yeah, and of course, in hindsight now, well, just at least like looking at the elite gravel race, we know that the people that picked up that opportunity are the fittest athletes out there, you mm-hmm. know, the road cyclists that can do the distance mm-hmm. over a course like that, which is not very technical, not very um, hilly at all. Mm-hmm. Um, they took that um, that opportunity on and, and they were the ones. So, But I don't know how that played out in other age groups. Um, but, and, and this is... Well, begs the question is if Vanderpool's going to come down here for uh, seven uh, UCI World Gravel well, Worlds in 2005 a, or 2006. Yeah, that's a, couple of, that's a couple of years away. So by then, there, there may yeah. be yeah. Uh, some type of strategy that is deployed like across these type of events. You know, there mm-hmm. may be a more common kind of understanding of how they're raced, for example. Mm-hmm. Um but that that's kind of the same thing. Like even before that gravel race, this is kind of really going off topic now, but just even before that gravel race, I was like, wow, this we don't know what's going to happen. And then it was just such a huge letdown <laughs> as a spectator. It just turned out to be like this sort of lame duck 
sort of event. So I can imagine as an athlete, yes, you see that that the unknown as an opportunity, but then it sort of mm-hmm. flips on you a little bit. Uh, it can be a letdown, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but coming mm-hmm. back to goals. Uh, yeah. One of the things that uh, I think about is always balancing um, uh, expectations with people around you as much as with the ath- athlete themselves. Um, there was someone talking to me about juniors in Australia when they get selected for the um, world teams mm-hmm. and then everyone in their local community gets so pumped. The, the mm. local news are there. There's everyone ah. talking about it. But the reality is they're probably not going to do that well mm. because the level difference is so big. And, you know, mm. it's just generalizations here, of course. People. Yeah, and well, you went through some of that, right? Like you being a junior in Australia. But, yeah, even if you know you're going to be in the back half of the field, just because the the overall level, but then you're on the news celebrating just a selection, you have to have someone around you that's going to manage those expectations and set what the real win is for you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that is definitely um, an important coaching tip to, to keep an eye on when people do um, go to these big events because it, it is cool to wear the Australian kit, to get selected, to travel, mm-hmm. to do all these mm-hmm. things. Um, but having someone around you that can talk to you straight about uh, what your chances are and what what a what a real win for you is. If that's mm-hmm. not an actual win of the race, then uh, then then that becomes something that you need to have that conversation early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, like going in the worlds. I mean, I raised worlds once, and then I was on the best form of my life when I went into that thing. And then just having that carrot there to be like, well, this is what I perform at when I'm on the highest form I've ever been in. And just having that to like look back at and just be like, that was the high water mark for my fitness. And will I ever see it again? I don't know. Hopefully, maybe someday if I get but that But we, we know that was all just to be yeah. Cyrus. So forever you could be. No, no, that, that was, I was carrying some of my fitness over from that, but that was uh, not the university games. That was uh, uh, when they had okay. Grand Bondo Worlds here. Um, but yeah, dropped my train and all, I won't get into that, but, uh, but it was a rough day. Still only six seconds off from the winners, but still not anywhere near the place I wanted. Did you learn anything new in this episode? Awesome. This is a listener supported podcast. So we would be stoked if you supported us by becoming a member of the Cycling Performance Club and providing a monthly contribution. With your backing, we can continue our mission to deliver the best in cycling performance knowledge and practical advice to you and the greater cycling community for a better sport. Click the link in the show notes to support us monthly, or if you prefer to make a one-off donation for now, you can buy us a coffee or three, also by clicking the link in the description. Don't forget, Jason, Cyrus, and I offer coaching and consulting services for cyclists and teams. The links to our websites can be found in the show notes. And with that, thanks for listening.